Time to get ready for the day's action. From the sides to the totals and everything in between, nobody does it better than the tough cover with Mark Henry. Right here on The Gambler. Look in my eyes, what do you see? The Hello and welcome to the Tough Cover radio show on this fine Saturday. The first Tough Cover radio show in November. Getting the month started. A new month for our unit count on our bet segments. Which is unfortunate. We finished October really positive. It was a good October. But... We're going to have just as good as in November right here on the Tough Cover Radio Show. But before we get to all the picks, before we get to all of that, as always, by the way, I am your host, Mark Henry Jr. You can follow me at Mark Henry Jr. underscore on Twitter. You can follow the gambler at Fox PHL Gambler to get involved with the conversation on social media. We've got Jeremy, my producer, on the ones and twos in the studio with me. You can follow him on Twitter at jhorwath 11 We'll get to him in just a minute. But... We've got a great show ahead. We've got a lot of positive things to talk about. We've got college football picks at 1120, which I've been red hot at. We've got Eagles talk coming up at the end of the hour, which I have a proclamation to make about the Eagles. Coming up at 12 o'clock, we've got our NFL picks. We've been red hot on this show with our NFL picks. And then coming up later on in that hour, we've got John Jansen coming on the show But folks, I'm going to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer. I'm going to be a little bit of a negative Nancy coming up right now. So, Jeremy, let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. It's a shame there's been so many Saturdays where I've come in after I hear that Fergie, let's get it started drop, where I'm pumped up, I'm yelling, I'm excited. I can't, I, I gotta tell you, I'm not there right now. I am not full of faith going into tonight's ever important must win Phillies Astros game six of the World Series. Now, that's not to say, and I'm gonna get to this in just a minute when we talk a little bit more about this run and a little bit more about the Phillies in general. I'm so proud of this team. I am not angry whatsoever or upset. At what's going on at this team. But when you get so close you can taste it. You're obviously going to be. A little bit disappointed as a fan. Which I am. I never hide that. I'm a Phillies fan. And a fan of all the Philly teams. The Eagles, Phillies, Sixers. Of course the Union right. Uh, (laughs) uh, So I'm definitely a fan of all those teams. So I I can tend to be a little bit more emotional. Than I'd like to be about those teams. As opposed to the picks and the gambling you know, content that I give out here and on the Philly Influencer and on Twitter. But I said leading up to Game 5 that it was the most important must-win game of my life as a Phillies fan. And I still believe it was. I truly thought going into Game 5 that the winner of that game would win the World Series. And I feel even more so that way right now after the fact, after having watched the game and seeing how it played out. And especially with the fact that it happened in Citizens Bank Park and that we went 1-2 and two in the World Series at our home ballpark when I was expecting at least 2-1. and one. And I always felt, the reason that I, I thought Game 5 was so important, I always felt like Game 6 was going to be a really, really tough ask. 
there were too many things working against the Phillies to win Game 6, even looking at it a few days ago. From Framber, Valdez being a really tough matchup for this lineup, all the way to Zach Wheeler's velocity being way down and there obviously being a looming injury. I just am really hard-pressed to see the Phillies figuring out a way to win tonight. But what I will say, don't let the Phils win tonight. Don't let the Phils get hot. If you give me a Game 7 situation in Houston after Houston blows a Game 6 for the fourth straight time in World Series, they are 0-3 in Game 6s. The ball will start to get rolling. I know not everyone believes in momentum, and I am an analytics guy, but I do believe in momentum. If the Phillies win Game 6, you turn this series on its head. It will change the entire complexion of what's going on in this series. Whether it's Ranger, you have to use him tonight, and you have to start Nola tomorrow. Or if you're able to save Ranger, and you're able to use Ranger as the starter tomorrow, maybe even use Nola in the pen tomorrow after Ranger, then I would feel really, really good about a Game 7. But... This is going to be the first game of this playoffs that I will not be betting on the Phillies to win the game. How about that for a stat right there? They've been they've been within bettable range every game. They haven't been above minus 120 in any game. So I, I've bet the Phillies every single game. I can't muster up the faith to do it today. But what I will say... Don't let the Phils get hot. Jeremy, how you feeling? I'm surprised. I didn't know that you bet on every game so far for the Phils to win. I actually love that. Sad that's coming to an end today. But Mark, pretty much I got one thing to say. The godfather of the gambler, you like to call, Sean Brace, is going to be happy with this. We played it all yesterday. Mark. This is not over. It's not over. <laughs> The Phillies are not going down easy. I'm not going to say I have all the confidence in the world in this Phillies team, but they are a streaky team. We've known this all year. How many years have they been this streaky? They've had a bad couple games. But what seems to always happen at the most random times, you know, when you look at the regular season, we were supposed to beat up on the teams like, teams like the Cubs and the Nationals, and it turns out we get swept or something like that. And we're like, oh, this team's done. And then they come back and they beat up on, like, the Braves. And we're like, what's going on, right? Okay. When we look at this World Series, we should have won two or three games at home. We lost and we're like, what's going on? Almost like what we thought with the Cubs. And then we go back to Houston. We're facing pretty much the Braves in the regular season. And we're going to come back firing. This team is streaky. They got their cold streak out of the way. And I have faith that they are going to come out of the gates and hit the ball. Zach Wheeler got an extra two days off this week. He's going to come in. He's going to be feeling like he's going to be feeling like early playoff Zach Wheeler, and he's going to pitch an amazing game. And just like you said, the Phillies win tonight, Game Seven. It, it, it's everyone's everyone's available to pitch besides Wheeler. Everyone. Sir Anthony is going to pitch a couple. Is going to pitch these next two games. Alvarado will. Eflin. It doesn't matter who it is. All hands are on deck. And tonight, with Zach Wheeler on the mound, I actually have comments. I know we're facing Fran Valdez. I know tomorrow we're probably facing Christian Javier. I don't care. This team gets hot, and they hit like the best team in all of baseball. It's going to happen again. I have faith in it tonight. So much is going on in Philadelphia today. We got a union in the MLS Cup. 
We got the Phillies tonight in Game 6 of the World Series where they are going to beat up on the Astros. I really do have some confidence in that. I am worried. Don't get me wrong, but it's not over, Mark. I really don't believe that it's over. It, it, and I know I'm probably breaking my own heart right now. Maybe I'm setting myself up for my heart to be broken. But I actually I, I feel good. And Fran Morris pitched great against us in the last game. He really did. Wheeler's going to come out. These guys, it's going to be low scoring for most of the game. But I think we're going to be able to get to their bullpen. That's what I think is going to happen. I think we're going to get their pitch. I think we're going to get Fran his pitch count up. And their bullpen is really good. But this team's going to get hot, Mark. I really do believe that. So here's what I have to say that helps your argument and kind of flies in the face of my, you know, my prediction, which, by the way, I've never, ever, ever on the Tough Cover Radio Show given out a prediction that I want to be less wrong than the Phillies right. losing Game Six. I, I, I hope I'm hilariously wrong. I hope they win twenty to nothing. <laughs> but obviously, uh, you know, I have to call it as I see it. But something that flies in the face of what I said and helps Jeremy's point. I am absolutely floored and shocked that this line is set around plus one twenty. The implied odds of that are like above 40%. It's up near 45% on that the, the Vegas is giving the Phillies to win this game. I thought they'd be like plus 160, plus 150 at the least, which is what they were in game one and two. I thought they'd be all the way plus money. Being plus 120 gives me a little bit of faith that Vegas is not counting the Phillies out. Now, of course, they're plus 450 to win the World Series now at this point, to win two straight games. Now, obviously... You put two plus one twenties together, you're you're coming around around plus four hundred, plus four fifty to win the World Series. So it's basically like a parlay of the next two games. If if you believe that, Jeremy, you should go go get that bet down on Phillies plus four fifty to win the World I Series. I will. I will. I will do that today. I will do that during this show. I will lay a couple units on it. I like that. And, and you know what? I'm gonna help Rob Thompson out here. Rob, I know you're a, you're a tough cover radio show listener, of course. He's been a devoted listener. The Calls in weekly, uh, of course. Yeah, we don't let him on, but you know, we talk to him. We talk to him on the breaks. We give him suggestions. We we help out. But Rob, if you're listening, and I know you are, I'm going to give you the lineup card that you should hand in tonight. Oh, I'm interested. Batting first, Kyle Schwarber. Keep it the same. I'm not going to change much. I, I know that I, I tweeted this out yesterday, and John Hunter, a guy I really like, who you should follow on Twitter. Um, I don't have his at right in front of me. I'll get it by the end of this segment. Um, but you should follow him on Twitter. He was proposing a massive lineup changes, and I understand why you'd feel that way and why you'd want to bat Bryce first or second. I understand all that stuff. I'm trying to be realistic on what Rob Thompson has been doing and just make two slight changes that's all I'm asking for. So batting first, Kyle Schwerber. Batting second, keep Reese there. I'm fine with it. Keep Reese Hoskins batting second. Batting third, you flip JT and Bryce. You bat Bryce third. You bat JT fourth. We cannot continue to let these pitchers pitch around Bryce so they can get to Castellanos at five. And if you're not going to switch JT and Bryce, you have to switch Boom and Castellanos. I agree with that. I do both. What's the downside of doing both? I don't understand what the argument is behind going Schwerber, Reese, Bryce, JT, Boom, Castellanos. And then whatever you want to do with the last three is fine. I'd probably bat Stott seventh to break up the righties. You bat Segura eighth, who, by the way, Gene Segura, that no one's really talking about it. He's been horrific in this World Series. He's been bad. Really, like, actually really bad. bad. I mean, I know he had that clutch hit last night, but or two nights ago. He's been bad this this entire World Series. It's actually kind of heartbreaking, but he's had a lot of clutch hits, and that's what's kind of 
made him look a lot better throughout the entire postseason, but he really hasn't been good. These are the either this is going to be the last game he plays as a Philly tonight, or these are the two last games that he's playing as a Philly because um, we're going to get to what I think this run truly means going forward more than anything. And uh, I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But they, these are Gene's last games. Then you bat. I, I'm assuming that they're going to start Veerling tonight, right? Since it's a lefty. So you bat Veerling nine. I'm fine with that. Even if you want to say, hey, we haven't. Stott's been cold. Segura's been cold. Let's bat Veerling seven. See if he's got any pop. And then you put Marsh there later when, when they bring the bullpen in. I'm fine with that, too. Whatever you want to do with seven, eight, nine, that's up to you, Rob. But please, 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 at least flip one of JT and Bryce or Bowman Castellanos. And honestly, why not both? So that is what I would do to try to, to try to make my prediction wrong and to try to get this series to game seven. Something else I wanted to touch on. There's two more things I want to touch on before we get over to break and give out our college football picks for the day. The Reese Hoskins hate on Philadelphia Phillies Twitter is absolutely sickening. I'll say it. I, you know, I get it. He had a terrible game. He is not looking good at the plate right now. But to act like, oh, let's trade this bum. He never shows up in the big moments. We would not be here without Reese Hoskins slamming that bat against Atlanta. We would not be here without the home runs that Reese Hoskins has hit in incredibly important moments throughout this entire postseason. Before Bryce hit that game-winning NLCS home run, there were arguments to be made that Reese Hoskins was the MVP of the NLCS. People were making that argument on Twitter. We would not be here without Reese Hoskins. So fans being more negative about Reese Hoskins than about a guy like Nick Castellanos who hasn't showed up the entire season and hasn't showed up in the playoffs. And I, I by the way, look, real quick, the whole Jess Castellanos, she tweeted at me yesterday. I don't know if you saw that, Jess Castellanos. Is she really? Yeah, I deleted the tweet because I was not getting in an argument with Jess Castellanos <laughs> on Twitter. But I called, I, I called Castellanos an automatic out, and I said he's one of the worst signings in recent history. So she's so she's searching his name on Twitter to get upset with Phillies fans, and I get it. She tweeted out that thing about someone yelling at her kid and being mean to her family, which, by the way, is stupid. Any idiots yelling at kids at a baseball game should be banned for life. Uh, absolutely. There's, there are a lot of Philadelphia fan idiots. I'm not excusing that at all. But I'll just say, when I'm seeing her respond to you know tweets that have nothing to do with her and are calling out her $100 million husband who has been incredibly disappointing all year and then really bad in the World Series, you're searching out things to make yourself angry. And everyone in Philly Twitter is right to come to her defense and say, oh, those guys are idiots and, you know, you know, we don't support that at all. But there's been even a little bit overcorrection to be like, oh, but Castellanos has really helped out since Bryce got hurt. And Castellanos has made some really good catches. It's like 95% of right fielders in the MLB are making those catches and probably not having to slide to do it. So I, I, some of the Castellanos like overcorrecting, overcorrection on Twitter is a little bit annoying for me. He's been an automatic out all playoffs long. And, you know, he's had his moments. Uh, he's had a couple good game fours, but... Man, it's really tough to watch him at the plate. He did have a really good at-bat um, late in the game yesterday. It didn't end up amounting to anything. But, man, it, it's been tough to watch. And so for people to be, it feels like, more negative about Reese Hoskins, who has had the moments to propel us here, as opposed to Nick Castellanos, who 
has been one of the most disappointing signings in recent history. I just don't know what Reese is ever going to have to do short of going on fire during the World Series to win over the Philadelphia Phillies fan base. I really thought that the NLDS and the NLCS was going to kind of make him a star in Philly's eyes. Doesn't seem to be the case, and he has been bad. And not excusing that, he's been terrible in the World Series. But I'm surprised at how quickly it turned from positive to negative with Reese Hoskins. But like I said, I'm not upset at all. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. This has been an incredible run. And and like that you already said in the last show, if the Phillies do come back to figure out some way to win game six and seven, this is the greatest story in Philadelphia sports history. There's no question about it. But even if they lose tonight, even if they lose tomorrow, this has been an incredible run, something we'll be talking about for years. People still talk about the 93 Phillies. People still talk about all those teams. And I'm absolutely beyond proud of what this team turned into. But the most important thing about what this playoff run did, the Phillies got some playoff revenue. I think the Phillies got a taste of what this is like and what it's like going to the playoffs year after year and how much money that makes you in ticket prices and merchandise and concessions and how much attention that gives you from the national media and from everything. I think John Middleton is going to want to be here year after year. John Middleton is not backing down. They are going and they're going to go out and spend stupid money. I truly believe that they are going to go out and be a big fish in the free agency pond. They're going to talk to the Trey Turners, the Xander Bogarts, the Dansby Swansons, and all of that means that Gene probably heads out. You move Stott over to second. You bring in a big money shortstop. Maybe you even look at a Carlos Rodon. Maybe you look at some starting pitching. I think the Phillies are going to be aggressive and try to put them in that consistent tier of competing in the NL with the Dodgers and the Braves and the Padres and the Mets. And I truly believe that without this run, I don't know if they would be as aggressive as they will be now after seeing what this, what this run's been like. Real quick, I know someone that hasn't gotten enough props that like I have been like when we got him I loved since the first second. We have not talked about how well of a job Dave Dombrowski has oh, does yeah. with this team and like this entire World Series run everything like a lot of this because of Dave Dombrowski and I wish he would get a little bit more credit because I haven't seen his name anywhere being talked about for why the Phillies are this good and Dombrowski I think is a big reason why. Yeah, absolutely. He's done a fantastic job and you know the Brandon Marsh trade. It was a great move, and that locks down center field for a long time. He batted 288 in the regular season with the Phillies after batting way below that in L.A. They fixed his swing. He's actually looking pretty good. Yeah, I loved that move. Obviously, he made a lot of moves in the offseason. He got Schwarber and Castellanos here. The Castellanos won. Not necessarily excited about that, but whatever. And they made a lot of moves that I, I'm a big fan of. The JT move, uh, I think, has, you know, I had some doubts about it, but after two years, I think you'd have to say you feel really good about that signing. That he's done a lot to feel good about. Uh, and, you know, this roster should be really good going forward. The problem is the NL is really good going forward. You've got the Dodgers, who obviously are the best team I've ever seen on paper. It didn't matter this year. The best team I've ever seen on paper. You've got the Braves, who are absolutely unbelievable and grow prospects on trees that come in and win rookies of the year. They have the two top rookie of the year people this year. Michael Harris and Spencer Strider are only going to get better. And they already won the World Series last year. So it's just the Braves are going to be really good for a really long time. Steve Cohen's the richest owner in sports, at least until Bezos buys the Commanders. So uh, he's going to continue to spend money for the Mets. The Padres made the NLCS without Fernando Tatis. 
they're going to be around year after year. The Giants, there's rumors they're going to go out and spend on Aaron Judge. The NL is going to be really good. The Phillies need to keep pace, and they're, the way that they're going to do that is spending stupid money. I think they're going to do it. And by the way, you do have Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, and Griff McGarry coming up in the system. All potentially could be on the roster by next year's playoffs. So I've heard a little bit of, you know, this is a one-time thing, and you have to win it. You don't know when they're going to get back. I agree with all of that. I totally agree with all of that because of how good the NL is. But I feel good about what this team is going to be over the next couple of years. I don't think this will be our best roster that we have going forward. Now, that doesn't mean that that roster gets to the World Series. We've seen that with the Dodgers. We even saw that with the 08-11 to Phillies. I'd probably argue that the 09 and the 2011 Phillies had a better roster than the 08 Phillies. They didn't win the World Series. But I don't even think this will be the best roster we have over the next couple of years. So on the other side, we're going to get to college football picks for the day, give you out my favorite picks for the day, and I'll even give you a biased one uh, coming from my my bleeding Notre Dame heart. Uh, we're going to talk about the biggest college football games of the day, the top five to focus on. So stay tuned on the other side to the Tough Cover Radio Show right here on The Gambler. Welcome back to the Tough Cover Radio Show right here on The Gambler on iHeartRadio. Giving away a little bit of a little bit of a sneak preview at my picks there. If you if you read between the lines there, uh, not too hard to read between the lines there. But coming up right now, we've got our college football segment every week that we do here at eleven twenty right here on the Tough Cover Radio Show, and we're starting it out with the top five to focus on on the board today of college football. Number five, Texas Tech at TCU coming up at twelve o'clock. Big game for TCU. You've got three games left in the Big 12. You've got to go 3-0. and Then you've got to win the Big 12 championship. TCU's got a ton of pressure on them. I don't think they'll go undefeated this year, but I do think they get by Texas Tech today, and you'll hear about that in just a minute when we get to my picks. The number four biggest game on the slate today, Texas at Kansas State. This is going to be a big, big game to determine who faces TCU in the Big 12 championship right now, looking like Kansas State, but this is basically a pick'em out in Vegas. Even though Kansas State better record at home, basically a pick'em between Texas and K State. I have no idea which way to go in that game, and that's why that play is not on my card. I think it's going to be a really good game, a really interesting game. I just can't find an edge there. Definitely a game I won't be focused on though, because it's at seven o'clock. And the next two games are also at night. And Phillies game six is on at night. So real quick, let's get to the top three. I, I do the top five to focus on, but this week there is a very clear top three games to focus on. At number three, I've got Alabama at LSU. It's a little controversial. I think most people would put this at number two. I'm a little biased at what I'm putting at number two, but I'm going Alabama at LSU. And one of the main reasons I have it down at number three instead of up at number two, and you'll hear about it in my pick segment, because I'm not nervous that Alabama is going to lose to LSU. They haven't lost to LSU on the road since 2010. They're 6-2 and two on the road against the spread in their last eight games against LSU. They've been favored in all eight. I truly believe that Alabama will be absolutely fine today. But ESPN and the College Football Playoff Committee, which is crooked, decided to put LSU as the number 10 team in the country, even though they were outside of the top 15 in the AP Top 25. Clearly, because ESPN has their hand 
in college football playoff rankings, and they wanted this Alabama-LSU nighttime matchup on ESPN to be a top-10 matchup, which is pretty funny. It doesn't really matter because LSU's going to lose, and it's going to eliminate the conversation anyway. But Alabama should get by today, but it is the number three most important game on the slate. Number two, I have Clemson at Notre Dame, and the biggest reason that I have this as a bigger game than Alabama-LSU is because Alabama and LSU... If either of them win this game, they have much bigger games down the road. This is Clemson's biggest game of their season remaining. They have two really easy games after this, and then they have an ACC championship on a neutral field against a North Carolina team that Notre Dame beat the crap out of on the road. Notre Dame is better than North Carolina as of right now. And Clemson's only a four and a half point favorite. And it's in the hostile environment of Notre Dame that they lost two years ago. Clemson is in much more danger, and Vegas would tell you as such, Clemson is in much more danger going on the road today than Alabama is. And that's why I think Clemson-Notre Dame is a bigger, more important game than Alabama-LSU. But clearly, the most important game of the day is Tennessee at Georgia. Number one in the college football playoff ranking, Tennessee. Going against number one in the AP Top 25, Georgia. That game is at 3.30. Clemson-Notre Dame is at 7.30. Those are the top five to focus on. Now, without any further ado, let's get ready to gamble. Had to bring a little enthusiasm to that since I was a negative Nancy in the Philly segment. um, But I did say, hey, don't let the Phils get hot. Don't let don't let this pot don't let the show get hot. Don't let me get hot on the on the November slate. But let's start it out. I only have one I should say two plays, but I only have one game on the noon board that I like. I like TCU minus eight versus Texas Tech. It's a one unit play for me. There was a lot of outcry about undefeated TCU being ranked number seven behind one loss Alabama. I do not concur with the outrage. Alabama is a much better team than TCU. TCU will not go undefeated this year, but this week will not be the week that the Horned Frogs go down. They will not lose their first game at home to a Texas Tech team fighting for bowl eligibility. TCU still has three more chances to be exposed after that. Next week, they'll play in Austin against the Texas Longhorns on the road. The week after, TCU stays in the state of Texas and takes a road trip to Waco to play Baylor. After that, they play in the Big 12 championship. I truly believe that they'll be an underdog in all three games. This is their last home game of the year. This is a big spot for TCU. I believe it's senior night at TCU, or senior day, I should say, since that's 12 o'clock. I believe it's senior day at TCU. I think TCU rolls. I think they put it on Texas Tech. I'd be nervous to lay the points if Donovan Smith or even Tyler Shaw were available, but I don't believe in Baron Morton. Morton looked horrendous last week against Baylor and threw five turnover-worthy balls. TCU has won their last three matchups with Texas Tech, including a 21-point win last year and a 16-point win two years ago, and now this is a much better TCU team under new head coach Sonny Dykes. I expect TCU to have a bit of a revenge game against the College Football Playoff Committee and putting put a hurting on the Red Raiders here, which leads me to my next bet, which I actually like way more. TCU team total over 38 and a half. I have serious long-term concerns 
about TCU's defense, specifically their secondary, that preclude them from being a college football playoff contender. But I have absolutely no concerns about the TCU offense. At QB, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Max Duggan. Duggan leads the Big 12 with 277 yards passing per game and 22 touchdowns and only has two interceptions. Duggan has a weapon in wide receiver Quinton Johnston, who has averaged 134 yards receiving over the last four weeks and has scored a touchdown in all four games. They also have a running back in Kendry Miller, who has more than 100 yards rushing in five of the past six games and ran for a TD in nine straight games. Texas Tech just gave up 45 points in a blowout loss to Baylor in Lubbock at home. TCU has a much better offense than Baylor, and they're at home. I expect a 50-burger. TCU scoring over 44 points per game this year, and that number stays at 44 points per game in Big 12 play. TCU has scored 40-plus in five of their eight games this year, and in the three games they didn't, they scored exactly 38 points. I'm willing to bet that was an anomaly. Give me TCU team total over 38-and-a-half. And at 3.30, I like Tennessee plus 9.5 at Georgia in the biggest game of the year, which will decide a ton in the SEC championship landscape as well as the college football landscape. This is the first time that number one in the AP poll is going head-to-head with number one in the college football playoff rankings. And the loser of this game immediately has a very uphill battle to climb. What they probably need if you lose this game is you need Clemson to lose to Notre Dame, you need TCU to find a loss, one of their next three games. And you need Michigan or Ohio State to blow out the other and kill their playoff contention. That's a narrow path to the championship for whoever loses this game. But Tennessee has passed every possible test. They beat Florida in a potential letdown spot. They absolutely beat down LSU on the road in Death Valley. Then they won the biggest game I've seen in the last few years against Big Bad Alabama. But that's not what impressed me most about Tennessee. I was most impressed by their drubbing of Kentucky. Being a Mark Stoops Kentucky team, 44-6 to is impressive no matter what season it is or what the circumstances are. UK does not get punked like that often, especially with Will Levis. Tennessee's defense is rounding into form and absolutely shut Will Levis down, holding him to 98 yards and forcing three interceptions. I understand that Georgia's the sharp play here. <clears throat> But sometimes the sharp play loses. I just can't erase that that Missouri game from my brain. They did not look good and barely beat Missouri. I'm just not sure that this Georgia defense is even half as good as last year's was. And I think there's a good chance that this Tennessee offense and Hooker and Hyatt are a Burrow-Chase-like connection when we look back on this in a few years. Jalen Hyatt's propensity to score touchdowns as well as make big plays is the ultimate death blow that Tennessee's offense can deliver even though their Heisman contender quarterback will get most of the focus. This is a 50-50 coin flip type of game, so I'll take the 9.5 points all day long. At 4 p.m., I like Navy plus 21 at Cincinnati for four units. I bet this game early and hopped on a spread that was overinflated at plus 21. That line has fallen two points to plus 19. I still really like it. Navy kept it close last year with the best team that Luke Fickle will ever have at Cincinnati and lost 27-20 in a game that could have went either way. I don't understand why they won't be able to keep it within 21 of a much worse version of the same Cincinnati team. And this Cincinnati team has failed to cover their last four games, and their last three games were decided by a total of 10 points. 
This team is destined to play close games week in and week out, and they are 1-5 in in their last six against the spread. Navy is also a team that keeps it closer than the experts think the other way as an underdog. They're 3-0 and against the spread on the road, 4-2 and against the spread as an underdog, 3-0 and against the spread as a road underdog. Navy will cover again as a road dog. Shout out to road dog Jesse James. I, Jeremy, that, that reference was strictly for Jeremy in the studio. Navy keeps it within two scores. Navy plus 21 for four units at Cincinnati. I had to keep Jeremy involved over there. I see, you know, he's not a college football guy, so I got to throw some, got to throw some wrestling references in here. At 7 p.m., I've got Alabama minus 13 at LSU for one unit. This LSU resurgence is cute and all, but this is Nick Saban. This is Bryce Young. This is Will Anderson. And this is the Alabama Crimson Tide riding into Death Valley. Something I've heard all year long, all week long, is that Brian Kelly teams get better as the season goes on. As a Notre Dame fan, I can attest to this. As a Notre Dame fan, I can also attest to Brian Kelly being someone who can punch down to inferior competition rather than rise up to superior competition. When the going gets tough, Brian Te- Brian Kelly teams get going. I also think there's a chance that Florida and Ole Miss just are not very good. And we're giving LSU a ton of credit for handing both schools a loss. This is still an LSU team that needed a miracle to escape a game on the road against a reeling Auburn team with the worst coach in recent SEC memory in Brian Harson. LSU was clearly given number 10 in the college football playoff rankings to make this top 10 matchup on ESPN, but this is not a true Top 10 matchup. And a big reason that Alabama's secondary struggled with Tennessee so much is because they were missing top cornerback in the 2023 NFL draft, Eli Ricks. In his first game back against Mississippi State, he allowed just one catch on nine targets while recording four passes broken up. Eli Ricks will be on my top five or at least my top 10 of my big board at corner for Alabama. And he is back and better than ever. Give me Alabama in a route 45 20. And speaking of an Alabama route, give me, even more importantly, Alabama team total over 35 for three units. I just don't see a scenario where this LSU defense doesn't struggle with my guy, Bryce Young. Alabama has scored 36-plus points in five of the seven games that Bryce Young has played. Alabama scores over 43 points per game, and that's with a 24-point performance from the backup quarterback. If you take just Bryce Young starts, they average 46 points per game and it's not like this LSU defense is impenetrable they gave up 35 to a bad Florida team that can't throw the ball and they gave up 40 to Tennessee and again they didn't even push Tennessee offensively so Tennessee won that game 40 to 13 if LSU was scoring and keeping the foot on the gas and keeping Tennessee against the wall Tennessee could have scored 60 in that game but they scored 40 because LSU didn't even push them give me Alabama team total over 35 and I think they do that by double digits at 7.30, my favorite bet on the board, I like Florida State minus 7 at Miami for 5 units. Mario Cristobal is one of the biggest frauds in sports. Miami had a very good roster with a very solid quarterback. And Cristobal still find, found a way to find a new low for the U after opening the year at number 16. They are now 500 fighting for bowl eligibility. Did anyone watch my, last week's Miami-Virginia game? It was an abomination It set football back a decade. They scored six points in regulation and won a the fourteen to twelve game in four overtimes. Four overtimes, fourteen to twelve. Florida State's three losses have come to teams that are much better than Miami, and they've all been extremely close. Mike Norvell has gotten things going 
on the right direction with Jordan Travis at QB. But the real reason this is my favorite bet on the board, Miami has failed to cover seven straight games with an against-the-spread record of 1-7. and seven. The only team that the U has covered against is Bethune-Cookman. Give me Florida State to embarrass their rival on the road in Coral Gables. And then last, but certainly not least, I'm going with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish plus four and a half versus Clemson. Full disclosure, I'm a diehard Notre Dame Fighting Irish fan. This is a three-unit play, by the way. There may be some stone-cold bias going into this pick. But Jeremy, hit that music. I did not bet on Notre Dame all season long until last week. I knew this team would beat Syracuse last week, and I know that they'll keep it close with Clemson this week. Syracuse gave Clemson everything they could handle on the road, and that was at Clemson. This ain't at Clemson. On the other hand, Notre Dame went on the road to the Carrier Room halfway across the country in Syracuse, New York, and laid a beatdown on the top 15-ranked Syracuse Orange. Clemson's getting a ton of credit for winning close games against ACC teams that immediately became worse after losing to Clemson. We've seen it now with NC State, Wake Forest, and Syracuse. UNC is probably the second best team in the ACC. Notre Dame smacked them around in Chapel Hill in North Carolina. Clemson. DJ Uyunglele seemed to prove his haters wrong over the first half of the year. He had stellar performances against garbage opponents. As soon as he struggled last week... After a season full of Dabo telling reporters how good he was, as soon as a game got close, Dabo went to Cade Klubnik, who ended up leading Clemson to a win. The vibes are weird around the quarterback position for the Clemson Tigers. And even though DJ burst onto the scene in South Bend two years ago with a huge night in a backup performance for Trevor Lawrence, Clemson still lost that game. Clemson struggles against the run, and Notre Dame runs the ball 61.3% of the time and have a budding star in powerful running back Audrick Estime. Notre Dame will not only cover this game, but they will win and solve a problem for the college football playoff committee and expose Clemson as the frauds they are. And most importantly, Marcus Freeman needs this win. They need to stamp this season with something. He needs to be able to give that post-game interview on national TV. He needs to be able to say, thanks for coming out, Notre Dame fans. You really led us to a big victory today. We're sorry for losing to Marshall, but at least we gave you this win over Clemson. It would fix so much that has went wrong so far over the Marcus Freeman era. This would be a cure-all, and this would get people excited for next year. This isn't his last chance. He does have a chance to do the same at USC, but this is his only chance to do this at home in South Bend. Get the job done, Marcus. Get the job done, Notre Dame. They're going to cover plus four and a half and win the game. That rounds up our college football picks segment. So let's keep it on the football side of things. Let's get over to the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's talk a little bit about the Birds. It kind of went under the radar on Thursday night. Obviously, they played the Houston Texans. And people were, uh, I think they were a little focused on another game that was going on in Philadelphia at the time, maybe a little bit, uh, with the Phillies playing Game 5 at the exact same time. But from a lot of what I have seen 
with some of the negativity revolving around people's reaction to this Texas game, or this Texans game, it's ridiculous to me. People are saying how how much they ran the ball against us, and oh, it was tied at halftime. How how could we be tied at halftime with the Texans? You're not going to smoke everyone in every single game. There's going to be tough games eventually. And this wasn't even a tough game. They clearly came into this game saying, you know what? They cannot beat us straight up. So let's drop everyone back. Let's completely shut down any deep passing and any big plays. And they decided, let's let them run the ball a little bit. We're going we're gonna to be fine giving up some of the run in order to stop big plays because they are not good enough to beat us straight up. And so that's what you saw. Damian Pierce had 139 yards, 5.1 yards per carry. Not absurd or anything like that. It's not like he was running for 8 yards per carry like we saw with a couple of the bad run defenses we've seen this year. 27 carries, you're going to get a lot of yards. And we they, they decided to run the ball. And I think that ended up hurting them in, in terms of being able to compete in the game. Davis Mills was at a 7 yards per attempt. Was not a great game from Davis Mills. 13 for 22, only 154 yards. He did have the two touchdowns, but he also had the two interceptions. The de- the pass defense stepped up when they needed to, but this was clearly a game plan issue. So there's nothing to be nervous about defensively. I've seen a lot of, oh, they're going to be really in trouble without Jordan Davis over the next couple of weeks. And yeah, their run defense will not be as good without Jordan Davis, obviously. But they'll be just fine. I am not. This this game does not make me nervous about run defense going forward. I think that the Eagles will continue to win their next couple games before they have a little bit of a tough stretch. They will win this next week against Washington. I think they'll win the next week against Indianapolis. After that, they have Green Bay. They have Tennessee. At least both games are at home. And then you have the Giants on the road. That's when we'll find out a lot about this Eagles team. But man, how could you not love everything you're seeing from this offense. Miles Sanders, 17 carries for 93 yards. He's been so efficient. He's been a guy that I've not been the biggest Miles Sanders guy before. I've I've had a lot of doubts and questions about Miles Sanders in the past, not hitting the hole, kind of dancing a little bit, maybe having some low IQ plays. But man, he's been nothing short of incredible this year and nothing short of one of the most efficient running backs in all of football. I love the way he's running. I love that they're using him as a little bit more of a bell cow. They gave him 17 carries in this game. I'd love to see how many times Miles Miles Sanders has had 17-plus carries in a game. It's probably not all that many, to be quite honest. It seems like they, even when Doug was here, they did did seem to like to use a a little bit of a committee. So I, I don't think Miles has had that many carries in a lot of games. But they have so many weapons. Devonta Smith obviously was a little bit quiet in this game. Two catches for 22 yards. But if you watch, he was open all the time. He had plenty of chances to get the ball. But the problem is there were guys that were more open. You had A.J. Brown, four catches for 59 yards and another touchdown. You had Dallas Goddard, the the star of the game in terms of the, the pass catchers. Eight catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. I just don't know how you stop all three of Dallas Goddard, A.J. Brown, and Devonta Smith. And if you do, I don't know how you stop the run game. And if you stop all three of those, and if you stop the run game, I don't know how you get to Jalen Hurts in the pocket fast enough to get him down. It, it's They have so many weapons from the, the, the three pass catchers to the running game, to Jalen Hurts' mobility, to how good this offensive line is. This offense is unstoppable over a large sample size. And that is why... I'm willing to say right now, I said it this week, the Philadelphia Eagles 
are winning the Super Bowl. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. So get ready for, for that, fans, as long as everything, you know, barring health, I truly believe they should be the odds-on Super Bowl favorite. The, the fact is, we don't have a Bills or a Chiefs to deal with to get to the Super Bowl. The Bills and the Chiefs both have each other to deal with. I think the Cowboys can be scary down the road. I think the 49ers can be scary down the road. But as of right now, you'd have to give a massive advantage to the Eagles over those teams. And I think that this advantage is going to continue. I think they're going to get that bye week. They're clearly looking like they have the inside track at getting that one seed and getting that ever-important bye week under this new format. And I truly think that they will they have the best chance by far in my opinion in the NFL to get to the Super Bowl. And once you have the best chance to get there, I think you have the best chance to win it. Even if I think maybe the Bills or Chiefs are slightly better, I think over the last couple of weeks I'm finally talking myself into the fact that this team can beat anybody. How how are you feeling after that game, Jeremy? I'm feeling good actually. I, I didn't I didn't get to watch too much of it. Obviously, I did go back and watch like highlights and everything like that. By the way, Miles Sanders 17 carries in a game, um, 11 times in his entire career. Wow, that was the 11th time in four years. Um, he's had most of them coming from this year. I think he has five this year, and then it's very like two a year before that. Um, but yeah, so that that game it, it was interesting. Dallas Goddard had a great game and everything, um, but it, it, it didn't really change much for me. Like I. I actually feel good about this team, and, and it feels weird because in the beginning of the year, I didn't want to say that I was a downer on the Philadelphia Eagles, but I wasn't the biggest Jalen Hurts guy. I, I, I wanted him to succeed, but I just didn't see him being this successful. Um, and he's proven me wrong, and, and I'm, I'm willing to admit that and everything. Eagles are playing tremendously well. Great play calls. Everything's going well. I, I love that like they, they, they should be Super Bowl favorites. And I know that there's a lot of talk coming out like, oh, but like look at their schedule. You know, they who have they really beaten? Which... If you really look at it, you're kind of right. I mean, was our strongest opponent really the Minnesota Vikings? Is that is that who it was? I mean, the Minnesota Vikings are the second best record in the NFC. They were six and one. Yeah, but other than that, it's well, not not looking great. Here's the issue: if you don't play the Bills or the Chiefs, you haven't played anyone in the that, in the NFL. And, and you're right. I, I actually totally agree with you there too. So if if we haven't played anyone, then the argument is. We're not going to play anyone going forward unless you're unless you're saying I, I get the argument. The only thing I will hear is that we played Cooper Rush. Like if you're giving me a, a Dak Prescott fully optimized Dallas offense that looks fantastic and has Pollard going and they're using Pollard and Zeke the, the correct amount each, then yeah, Dallas is a team that could give us problems. Yeah, but if we haven't played anyone, that there's not that many teams right. to play. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. What other teams are there that we could have beaten? Yeah. Like, who are there, like, if we beat these teams, what teams besides the Bills and the Chiefs are like, oh, but they beat this team? Like, what? Like, beginning of the season, you would have thought maybe, like, the Ravens. No, the Ra- if you beat the Ravens, that's like, people beat the Ravens. The Chargers, people have beat up on the Chargers. The Bucks, people, like, the Bucks are playing horrible. Packers, horrible. Rams. There's, Rams, horrible. Bengals. Right. Keep it going. Like, that's what I'm talking about. There's not really teams you could say, like, oh, well, at least we beat them. Okay, fine. Besides the, besides the Bill, when, if you look at the Bills schedule, who have the Bills beat besides the Chiefs? Probably they're in the same situation as the Eagles then. You're probably looking at the exact same thing. The Vikings, they're 6 and 1. Who have they beat? It, it doesn't matter. There's not anyone else to beat. That's the thing. Eagles are 8 and 0, and they are all like confident wins. Like these aren't just like last play of the game, we need to score. Like they're beating up on teams. They barely even have to play in the second half now because they're beating up on teams. This Eagles team is really good. 
And it's weird because I did, I did not expect that, but I'm so happy that they are. This team's good. Miles Sanders has looked phenomenal. He's, he's, he's great. He's actually fifth in attempts this year with wow. 131. Did we ever think that ever happened with Miles Sanders? I, I will say that I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of running backs getting hurt and missing games. So yeah, uh, it could, but still, but I'd be curious what it, what carries per game would what would look like. But um, yeah, no, I, they've used him a lot. After I'm looking at the game logs, I think I only remember the times where they use him 13 times and nine times this right, year. Right. Um, there's been a couple of those, but I didn't realize he had as many uh, high volume carry games as he's well, had. You got in Jacksonville, he had 27. That's why I remember yeah. like that game where they just ran all over. Yeah, that's true. That's again, that was like a monsoon, right? The, yes. the weather. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense there. So, yeah, I, I mean, Miles has been awesome. This offense has been awesome. And, you know, I just don't see these things going away once you play a Bills or a Chiefs. Or, you know, it's not like those teams have been immaculate either. Like, the Bills lost to the Dolphins. The Bills could have lost to the Ravens. The Bills could have lost to a couple teams that they played way too closely. The Chiefs lost to the Colts. They did. That's and, insane. And it was garbage. It was like the flukiest game of yes. all time. I'll never forget it. And they lost in, I, no, they're six and two, so they lost to the Bills. But every team's going to have trip up games. And I guess you could call what happened in Jacksonville getting down early or Detroit keeping it close with us. Maybe you could call that our trip up game or you could call the, the Houston game our trip up game a little bit if you're saying that was too close. I, I don't know. I, I feel really, really good about this team. And by the way, Jalen Hurts should be in MVP conversations. Nick Sirianni should be in coach of the year conversations at this point. They can't both not be in them. It has to be one or the other. It has to be either Jalen Hurts has taken a huge step into being an MVP candidate, which I think the MVP talk is actually a little messed up this year. I don't think Josh Allen should be the MVP if we're saying Jalen Hurts can't be because his team's too good. I think Josh Allen's team is like just as good as not better on offense as ours. So I, I don't really necessarily look, look at that. I think the two people who I would hear an argument against Jalen Hurts for MVP the most would be Patrick Mahomes because you take Tyreek Hill o- away from them. And he's, the offense is just as good as ever. He's just as good as ever. And they're 6-2. and two. Or Tyreek Hill. You could make a case for Tyreek Hill. He's on pace for 2,000 yards as a receiver. He's completely changed that offense for Miami. They were good last year. Tua and Jalen Waddell had a really good connection last year. But Tyreek Hill has made them one of the scariest offenses in football. And Tyreek Hill has turned Tua from a guy who a lot of, not single-handedly, that's not the only thing, their offensive line and the coaching and it's just a much better situation. They have turned Tua from a guy that people wanted to, you know, right out of the league last year, even though he was winning games. I'll get, I'll get to that a little bit later when we talk about Dolphins-Bears. But they wanted to throw this guy out of the league. They thought this guy wasn't a starter. This guy's a top-ten quarterback this year, no matter how you slice it. They're 5-0 and in games Tua plays. That's not because, I mean, it is because of Tua. It absolutely, a big part of that's because of Tua. But the big difference is Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill has, I, I feel like I've never seen a trade like this where the team that trades him is like doing just fine. They're humming along. And the team that gets him had such a boost. It's such a good trade for them. So I, I guess it's working out for both teams. But man, those are the two players that I would hear an argument for for MVP against Hertz. You're forgetting one. Gino? <laughs> He's probably fifth, though, right? He's got to be, right? He's, He's probably there. fifth. And, and that's that's the craziest thing. Of they wrote him off, season. but he didn't write back. He certainly did not <laughs> write back. It's No, nah, and we're going to get to Seattle. We'll talk about Seattle later on. I mean, by the way, I will say San Fran's winning that division. Lock that in right now. San Fran has a win over Seattle. They have a, or they have two wins over Seattle, I, I believe. Am I right there? 
I'll look into it. No, 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 I'm sorry. I apologize. They have a win over Seattle, and they have two wins over the Rams. They have two wins over the Rams already. That's what they have. So they have they have a a, a leg up where Seattle can't get the tiebreaker, and they have the tiebreaker over the Rams, and they might have even beat the Cardinals already, or they have to play the Cardinals twice. So I think San Fran will win that division. But what Seattle has done, and they're going to be in the playoff conversation, no matter how you slice it. So pretty incredible stuff from Geno. Pretty incredible stuff from Pete Carroll, who's another guy who should be in the Coach of the Year conversation. I think the Coach of the Year conversation is three guys right now. I think it's Brian Dable in New York. I think it's Pete Carroll for Seattle. I think it's Nick Sirianni for the Eagles. So that's my little Eagles segment. That's my NFL awards segment is what it turned into, I guess. I I didn't know that's where we were going. But on the other side, we're going to stick in the NFL. We're going to give out our picks for the NFL slate. Until John Jansen gets in the building. Then we'll give out his picks. We'll give out his college picks. We'll give out his his Phillies thoughts. On the other side, keep it locked to the Tough Cover Radio Show right here on The Gambler. Welcome back to the Tough Cover Radio Show right here on The Gambler on iHeart. Radio had to play the Union song. We got John Jansen walking in the studio just in time to hear the Union song. He's even got a Phillies hat. That kind, it's like a Union Phillies hat. It's, it matches the jerseys wearing. I mean, this is this is a this is a great showing here from John Jansen in, in Union Philadelphia Phillies pride here in a big day uh, in Philadelphia sports. We obviously have the Union coming up today. In the what's what's it called again? The cup, the MLS cup, is MLS cup, MLS cup. I didn't know if I was missing a word. I, I you know the 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 Super Cup, the, the the I don't know, you know the World Cup. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of cups, but this is the MLS Cup, the Union play. What time is that game at, fellas? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. And I believe they're playing LAFC. Um, I, I did see something very funny yesterday. Not to call out whoever this reporter was, where I guess some guy was asking someone on LAFC at the. Uh, did you guys? You guys didn't see this? There was a press conference, and someone like one of the Philly reporters or national reporters asked a player on LAFC, and they were like, "Hey, how does it feel to be playing in a championship when all the other teams in your city are? You know, the Phillies are in the World Series, and the Eagles they're eight and zero, and you know, even the Flyers are doing well." He's like, "There's so much excitement going on in the city. How does it feel to be a part of that with the Union?" He's like, "I I play for LAFC." And the guy was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was it was very very funny. I don't know who that was, but uh, that that's that's the that's the extent of my uh, my Union LAFC knowledge. But we winning today. Are we, are we favored, boys? Uh, how how are we? What, how's it looking? So they are actually an underdog because they're on uh-oh. the road. Uh-oh. Uh oh. LAFC is very good, and they can score a lot of points. So it's going to be a tough game. What what usually helps for the Union on the road is that they have the best defenders." Uh, their back line is amazing. Um, Mbizo at right back's great. Kai Wagner at left back. The two center backs, Glesnes and Elliott. All four are fantastic, and they have the best goalkeeper in the league behind them. So, usually, on the road, they can take whatever flurry of you know goal chances from a team because they defend well, and their goalkeeper is the best. So, that usually helps. But how long can you do that against LAFC? So the Union are going to have to play their best game defensively all season, which they can. They're capable of doing it, but they're going to have to do it in this game. And probably, I'd say get a, a, a goal on the a board early, because I think that's going to be tough. And I think they just kind of play back in defensively. But 
they they need to get probably the first goal tonight. So I have a stupid question, fellas. I have a stupid answer. Oh god. For the MLS, what happens in a tie like in the cup? Like I know that you'd call a draw regularly in the regular season. Right. So after 90 minutes, they'll have stoppage time and then once that's over, then I think it's a uh, 2 15 minute uh periods. It, not periods, but they they go for like 15 minutes each and uh after that, then they go to penalty kicks. But so they give them extra time. They give them I think close to like 115 uh to 120 minutes cuz stoppage time as well. So they give them that amount of time usually to to try and get a goal and figure it out, but I, I if gotta, not penalty kicks. I got to tell you, fellas, that's how sh- that's how soccer should be. Can we get rid of this draw but nonsense, the games get please? Too long, get, but the games get too long during the regular season. I'm fine with it. The regular season, I'm fine. Get the draw. Get me out of there. There's no way I want to watch like a seventy seventy college football game because it gets too long. I, I, I it gets love too that. long. No, I love yeah, that. But, like, but but the NFL is or in college football is twelve weeks and it's once a week and you can do that. Sometimes MLS is usually and soccer usually once a week, but sometimes teams play midweek and all that. And it's thirty something weeks of the season. It's a long season. No, but what if at the end they went straight to penalty kicks? No, I don't like penalty kicks. Uh, Dude, uh, what? You soccer purists. You think, soccer I think, people. I'm not even a soccer purist. I'm just, I don't. I think they're electric. I think, it is I electric. Think, I, the I, cup, don't, electric. I don't like penalty kicks. I hate things that end in penalty kicks because it's just a crapshoot and it's, I, I don't know. It's not so, the best way of determining a winner I mean, of a game. That's true. But I, so, I, just, I just think it's a lot of fun to watch when there's just both guys. You, you're, I don't even like when hockey does it. I hate that hockey oh, I adopted it. that. I, love I hate it. it. Sometimes I, like it. I, actually think, I actually think hockey should just end in draws sometimes. Oh, my God. What's this kissing your sister talk? I mean, uh, it's we not. Got, we need something at the end of a game that tells us, yeah, should, but don't I, be give happy? Something that should I be happy? Should I That isn't part of the game. It's not. There's nothing like that in the game itself. Now, penalty kicks, you do have penalty kicks. You like kick a ball a at the net. Wait, so, so it's not a game. It's not like you're you're offensively coming up with a play and you know in, in soccer called making a run and you get a goal. It's not earned in that way. It's just like hey, place the ball a few feet away from the goalkeeper and let's see if we can stop it. How do you feel it's about not, the ghost runner on second base in baseball? You bet. I actually don't care about that. No, I, 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 I just don't want I'm glad to, that they get rid of it during the, the playoffs. I, I don't have a strong take on it either way, to be honest. Ba- see, baseball is different just because it's a long No, it game. is. So I don't know if there's a good way ever to do extra innings in baseball, <laughs> but at least to speed it up a bit. I don't think it's the perfect answer, the Ghost Runner. But it's at least something. I like it. It's I, right. It's something. I like it. I like it for this reason alone. Because I don't bet full game unders in baseball. I bet first five. I know unders. the overs get. I know I, totals I, get absolutely wrecked in extra innings. It's great when you when you bet an over a full game over the game goes into extra yeah, it gets, two it two gets crushed. You have yeah. over eight and a half and it ends up cashing in the tenth. I love that. That's absolutely awesome. So I am a fan of that from a gambling perspective. Um, and it's. Just another reason I always say, and this is go. This goes for football. This goes for basketball. This goes for baseball. I almost always never bet full game unders or full. Yeah, full game unders. I go first half, first five unders because there's so much less that can mess that up. That's even out of the flow of Especially the game. Especially in so, baseball, yeah. Yeah, that, that's definitely something that you know it, it has helped in terms of gambling. It's not something like the books aren't going to handicap a total based on it going to extras. So you have right. to add that kind of possibility into betting over. Yeah, sometimes. it kind of made betting baseball totals. Just a, a really bad thing to do. I mean, you can do it, but 
It's well, just that it made automatically it when you get the extra innings, it's just, yeah, it's a, you have to lean towards the overs a little bit more. And not to say every game goes into extra innings, but, I mean, it would absolutely shatter every total once it went into extras. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely would. But that's enough uh, That's enough MLS, MLB. Actually, it's not enough MLB talk. Before we get over to the NFL, before we talk about football, we, there is a Game 6 tonight in Houston. Uh, you know, I think John Jansen's kind of along my line of thinking a little I'm bit. I'm so pessimistic Me right too. now. And this I'm is gl- not over. I'm glad That's that people are excited. Like, can they, they can get back into it. And, you know, I wish I had that attitude, but game five felt like that was the one. That was the game that they needed to win to, uh, to win this series. And the fact they didn't do it and, you know, such a great game too. And I think the Phillies are playing like they needed to win that game more than anything. Uh, it's just I, I, two games against Houston and their pitching staff, how good they've been. Because they might have to go up against Valdez tonight and then tomorrow, who, Javier? Yeah. You know, their two best pitchers who they couldn't hit. I, I just, I, I know the Phillies are a very resilient team, and they've shown that all throughout the playoffs. And it's baseball. Baseball is completely unpredictable. And the Astros are choke artists, so there are things that work in the Phillies' favor. But... I think this is too monumental a task to do for the Phillies, and that's win both games. I think it ends tonight. And I I heard on Sports Here, There, and Everywhere, which is every Saturday from 9 to 11 from Park Sportsbook, Dick Girardi, and I, I, you know, it made a great point. I was listening, walking around, and uh, I even called my dad about it on the way in because he's a big Dick Girardi guy, obviously. Everybody should be. Everybody should be. He's the man. Um, So I, I let my dad know. Dick Girardi, I mean, how long has he been covering Philadelphia sports? Oh, you would know better man. than me. I think close to four decades. Yeah, I was going to guess 40 to 50 years, like yeah, something in I that think, range, Yeah, right? I think about 40, 40-something years. Yeah. It's been a long, long time and great coverage, too. And he said, if the Phillies come back and do this, if the Phillies come back and win game six and seven, this is the greatest story in Philadelphia sports yeah. history. It yeah. is, it is. It wouldn't even be close, really. To be quite honest, so and 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 Mike Kearney, Dick Girardi, because I brought up you know the Eagles Super Bowl with Nick Foles and how great of a story that was, and it is, it's a mm-hmm. great underdog, but that was a single game moment, mm-hmm. you know, that was one game, great moment, but in uh, the Eagles were the best team in the league, they to me that gets forgotten so they much. were the best team in the league that year, like that, and it wasn't even close. They had the MVP candidate. They were what only lost they, one game. They were what they are right now. Yeah, right, exactly. It's exactly they, the they same were, thing. They were beating everybody by multiple touchdowns every single game. They had the best defense in the league. They had the best quarterback and uh, MVP caliber playing at that point. They were better than everybody else. They had the they had the one game on Thursday night in Seattle that went really weird. We had that fumble out of the back of the yeah, end zone. Yeah, I remember even Carson Wentz playing well that game. He yeah. threw that ridiculous pass. I think the Nelson Aguilar was it. We that he's like them, falling yeah. on the ground and he threw that. And mm-hmm. they almost won that game. Right. Yeah. Seattle had... The Eagles had no business being in it and they came back and almost won that game. But they were the best team in the NFL that year. The Phillies were not, Mm-mm. and they didn't have Harper, and they didn't have Segura for a little bit. They didn't have Wheeler for a little bit. Uh, their bullpen just got better. They they sent down Jose Alvarado, who is now one of the best relievers in baseball. It it's just it took so many things, and the season wouldn't happen, of course, if it wasn't for Universal DH and also mm-hmm. the extended playoff format. Mm-hmm. The, the Phillies aren't in because of that. Then the Phillies get in. And not only do they win these series, they're doing it off of a guy who has been the face of baseball mm-hmm. before he even stepped foot on a Major League Baseball field at 16 years old. 
And so it, this this story and this team, if they and they would even come back three two and beat Houston, all those years, you know, of Houston being great and you know choking again, you know, it, this would cover so many bases. Not only from a regional level, this team and franchise hadn't been to a postseason eleven years. They get there and they could win it, uh, but the national perspective as well of Bryce Harper, great player, and he's played better than almost anybody else has in a postseason. So this covers so many bases, and I, I hope they can pull it off. I'm just very, very pessimistic that they just – it's not run out of magic. It's not magic. They, they're a good baseball team. It's just that they kind of ran out of steam, you know, and this Houston's this Houston Astros team, that's why I felt like they, they were going to win this series in six just because they could overwhelm you. And if somebody goes cold, they have somebody else that can get get hot. They have pitchers everywhere coming out of the bullpen, starting rotation. It's just overwhelming how much talent and how much depth Houston has. I have two points to make. The the, the one thing I just wanted to touch on before I ask you a question, but the, the Bryce issue, I, like what makes this such an incredible run and what makes this probably my favorite playoff run that I've it's you know, my watched. it's my one of my favorites. I, I, I think, think it might be my favorite. I think it's number one. Yeah, I think it's my favorite. It's because we're watching someone who's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And Bill Simmons, you know, likes to do the pyramid of Hall of Fame for the NBA, where it's like this is the tier one. These are the ten top Hall of Famers. Then you have tier two and it's a pyramid. Bryce Harper is high on that pyramid. Like the way his career multiple is going, MVPs now, yeah. The way his career is tracking and probably has a long way to go left. Uh, if he continues a similar level of production, this guy is going to be one of the faces of an era of baseball, one of the faces of a generation of baseball. And these are the moments that are going to be replayed and talked about when this guy's inducted into the Hall of Fame as a Philly. Like that's part of what makes this so special. Like I love Chase Utley. I love Ryan Howard. Jimmy Rollins is my favorite athlete in the history of sports. Ryan Howard's my favorite. And I lo- he's probably my second, honestly. He's my second favorite from that Phillies era, for sure. J-Roll and, J-Roll and Ryan Howard were my guys. J-Roll, I met him on the field. I got picked when I was like eight years old to walk on the field the first year at Citizens Bank Whoa, Park. Met Jimmy Rollins at shortstop. Still got the picture framed in my room. J-Roll's my guy. But Bryce Harper's better than any of those guys. Bryce Harper the best player we've had on the Phillies in our lifetime. You could make an argument that Ryan Howard for that short run, for that 06 to 07 run, is right there. But by the time 08 came around, I'd probably put Bryce over Ryan Howard in terms of his last couple years of production. And this guy, and especially because he's got the longevity that Howard lacked, this guy is the best Philly we've seen. But the, the second point, I'll give John Jansen some credit here. It's actually, I thought about, I thought about this today. There was a couple months ago on the line change that you had me on and your opening segment was about taking the Phillies to win the NL and that it was a good value and it was, it was pretty high value. And I told you, yeah, and I was buying all the way in. We were both buying all the way in when they went on that run, even after the run. I think it was around August that this was, this happened. Yeah. So it was like at the tail end of it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And we were both all the way in. We both thought that this team was legit. But I was like, yeah, but the NL is just ridiculous. Loaded. I think that the, <laughs> the Phillies got yeah. to the World Series in what I think is the best league I've ever seen in baseball. The Dodgers were the best team on paper that I've ever seen. The Braves won the World Series last year and added to the top two Rookie of the Year contenders now. 
and added, you know, Austin uh, Austin Riley took his step, took his game up another level. Like you have the Mets who went out and spent all that money and added Max Scherzer and have the deepest pockets in baseball. You have the Padres who made the NLCS without Fernando Tatis. Like the NL is and that just team so picked loaded. up an MVP, exactly. <laughs> like, maybe the best player in baseball yeah. in Juan Soto, and you already have Manny Machado who was playing like an MVP the first half of the year. The NL was so loaded, and the Phillies got to this point. It's absolutely unbelievable, and it's part of what we talked about at the top of the show. I do want to get to football, so this is the last thing I'll kind of talk about with baseball. But this playoff run, more than anything, is going to motivate the Phillies. To be as aggressive as humanly possible. I hope it does. In the free agency market. Do you know how much playoff revenue they've probably driven in over the, all of the possible home games that they've had? John Middleton's going to want that playoff revenue again. So I think he's going to be willing to pay whatever that luxury penalty is to get this playoff revenue back into the city. Get this excitement around the team to be a year-after-year thing instead of making this a 1993-type blip on the radar, I think they're going to be aggressive. I think they're going to spend stupid money. Do you think they go after Trey Turner? Do you think this is going to kind of prompt yeah, them to make a big move? Pitching. What, the one move I didn't like that Dombrowski made, and it's the one move I think that really hurt them. And look, he ended up pitching pretty well, but they needed a fourth starter in the worst way. They didn't need a depth arm. They need it because we we look at what Houston did and what Houston has. I mean, they have four legit guys, and I know McCullers didn't work out, but McCullers been great for them when he's been pitching and healthy. Christian Javier has been amazing, and Framber Valdez and Justin Verlander. Like it just doesn't end. So I think the Phillies, you know, they get a taste of it. I think Middleton's gotten a taste of it, and he's going to want to spend. And I think it has to be now. Trey Turner would be. Amazing, but I think they've already put enough money into that lineup, and you just have to hope Castellanos gets better in year number two from year one. And I think he can. He's not going to be this bad. I don't know if he'll ever be what he was in Cincinnati. So that that could absolutely be the case. I don't think he's this this terrible. I mean, this was a completely lost season from the jump. So I think he can improve. And you know, you kind of have to. You spent your money for it, and hopefully, you just get something out of it. But I think they need pitching, and I hope they spend for it. And hopefully this well, – the good thing it helped out is the franchises who have, you know, as long of a drought as the Phillies did, that becomes a lot of pressure. Like, that is so much responsibility on one team to end what is now this decade-long drought mm-hmm. that a lot of them weren't even a part of. So it's, it, it's just great for a franchise to finally get that taste for it. And I think now Dombrowski, he's brought in, we've seen the, the blueprint all the mm-hmm. time for him. He's brought in to bring in players and to spend a lot of money and to make a short window work. Dombrowski's not there for the long term, like for the long extended, you know, what's the decade long plan here for the Phillies? What's our plan in five years, seven years? Doesn't matter. This is the Ruben Amaro going out and getting Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay together and Roy Oswalt type of frame that they're in. They spent the money on Harper. They spent the money on Schwarber. They spent the money on Zach Wheeler. They spent the money on Castellanos. They just need to continue to spend. And JT, spend the money. They are in that frame to do this in a very short time period. Do it while you can. And I think next year they're certainly primed for it again, but you have to continue to spend that. What I will say, just a little bit of a rebuttal, they either have to spend money on Gene, if you look at the option that he has, or you'll have to give him a reasonably big contract. Or, for a little bit more money, you go out and you talk to Dansby Swanson. You go out and you talk to Xander Bogarts. You go out and you talk to Trey Turner. Yeah, I think they have to see, do that. See, that's, 
Dansby and Dansby might be a little bit too much money because of the season he just but had. Taking him away from Atlanta would help so it much help. too. There's a little bit of that. But like, that's that's there. the tier of player. Trey Turner is going to be way too much money. Trey Turner is probably right. You're probably right, and he should. Get Gene, it. but I, you just mentioned Gene. I don't even think Gene will be that much. It's just that much for a player that's what been their sixth, seventh hitter. You know, so it it might be a lot of money for that. But I think the guys that you just mentioned more in the ballpark of Swanson's going to be a little bit harder just because of the season he had. But Atlanta doesn't but overpay. That, I think you're. I think you're right in the ball. Yeah, Atlanta doesn't overpay, but some team might overpay yeah, for him. Yeah, for sure. Because I don't think anybody th- and he's not going to get this kind of contract. But nobody thought Corey Seager was going to get the amount of money that he did. And yeah, but he then got. there's. There's also Huge. guys who get less than you think, like Schwarber exactly. and Castellanos kind of So I, I think that it's that tier of player that they're kind of looking at. They're not looking at the elite of the elite and the top. Like, you see, if you see on MLB Network, the list, the top five, the ten players on MLB Network's, you know, list of free agents, the Phillies probably aren't going to go after those guys. I don't know. I don't think they do. I, I, but I think there is, there's enough money to spend on good mid-tier guys that you can have 6th, 7th in your lineup that can give you good production. Uh, Gene Segura, but hopefully a slight improvement even off of what Gene Segura gives you. But I think that's what they're going to... But that's that's all they need, though. They already have the top guys. You're, you're paying your top guy $330 million, which Middleton's right, you're not paying him enough. So yeah. like you're already paying that guy. You already paid Schwarber, and you already have Romuto. You have your... T- and Hoskins is still going to be there, so you have your top guys. You just need to fill out the roster a little bit more and I think you need to fill it out with quality players, but I don't think you know they're going to go after unless it's a starting pitcher and they really want to spend money on a top top arm. I don't think go ahead. Do I don't think they do that though. So I do think they'll be in on Trey. I really truly believe with Bryce and Trey's connection, like I, I think Bryce is. Oh, I'm sure there'll them. be interest. Yeah, I, I think they'll be in on them. I don't think they'll be in on the top starters because you've got Painter, Abel, and McGarry. I, I think that. Dombrowski views those guys as guys that any are... The, any of those guys can come up next year? McGarry, definitely, and Painter, probably. If I know you those guys, the, 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 the projections are... Every time I see the the projections when they be up, it's a couple of years away. McGarry's but, definitely going to be up next year. But obviously, I there think. are some guys that you can just bring up, just do it. You know, I feel like Aaron Nola is one of those. They oh, brought yeah. him up earlier than they should have, and he just... He was fine. He was yeah. a major league pitcher right away. Yeah. So I think there's one of those guys you can do it with. And hopefully, maybe that is the answer. They think, you know what? We think one of these guys, yeah, projected come up maybe 2024. I know one of them maybe is 2025. But you can get one of them up, the one that you feel is, I guess, closest, and do it a year early. Yeah. Which that, that could end up working very well. It's funny. But I think we... one of the big problems this year is they need to go after a better arm, and Syndergaard was not it. The, that I, was such a weird move. I, he actually, he was like a 380 RA, though. Like, I, I will just say, if you look around the 34th starters in the MLB, Syndergaard's probably like a top five fourth starter. Like, just in terms of, there's not a lot of teams like the Astros. See, I think he's a lot worse. I, th- I, think he's, I think he's barely a top five, uh, you know, in any rotation. I think he's really bad. No, no he's given them, yeah, he's given them good production, solid, like not great, but he's been solid for them. And, you know, credit to Rob Thompson, I think, for using him in, in the right circumstances and the right games and knowing when to get him out. I think he might have left him in for a batter too long, but yeah, that's yeah. like very small margins that I'm not going to, you know, ridicule Rob Thompson for. But I, I, yeah, I just think they needed more from from that that pitcher, that guy they were going to get in, in the trade market. I don't think Syndergaard was enough. Like the Astros and the Dodgers, there's a couple teams that obviously have just like an embarrassment of riches. 
I mean, I felt better about Syndergaard going into Game 4 than the Braves did about Charlie Morton. And he was their number 4 guy. Like, and they have a great rotation. Like, the Mets' number 4 guy was what's it? It just slipped from my brain as we were talking. Carrasco, who struggled at times this year, or whoever else I like all those guys better than Syndergaard. Syndergaard's really lost. Morton was bad. Morton was getting bad. Bad But, but like, Syndergaard's been bad for a couple years now. Not this year, though. Syndergaard was good in L.A., and then he was better here. So he started off really well. He... He ended up cooling off big time. I, I, not, I still don't like Cinder. I think that was a really odd. It was a low-risk move, but it was a low-reward. They didn't give up a lot for him. I, but I, I just didn't think there was a willingness to want to go out and get a more quality arm. Because, I mean, the, the thing is, you would want that fourth starter. Just You say that about Carlos Carrasco and Charlie Morton. I get it. But those guys, they at least feel comfortable enough going out there with. With Noah Syndergaard, it was, well, we're probably just going to need a bullpen game and two or three innings out of him. But he did better than that. I mean, and he, Morton and he, turned into a two-inning bullpen game anyway, and so did Carrasco against the Padres. So I, I think Syndergaard, I, I, I don't think he was bad at I, all this year. I, I thought mean, he was terrible. I thought he was Kyle Gibson-esque this year. I, now, again, I he's given him some good innings in the playoffs, so credit to him for that. I but. think Syndergaard is in between of what you guys are arguing about. I think I don't think he's as bad as you're putting him out to be, but I just don't think he was good. He's either. a slightly better Kyle Gibson. That's that's what he is to me. I think he's a lot better than Kyle Gibson. I think Kyle Gibson's really bad. Kyle Gibson's really really bad. I, I, Syndergaard's like I a sub four guy. Syndergaard's been a sub four guy all year long. I, I I think that there's just not a lot of teams that have four sub four guys. But well, well, it's, it's a funny argument to have on Game Six of the World Series. Um, but <laughs> it's it's so funny. Um, and we're talking about Painter. Well, again, yeah, it just and shows Gary. the job because they. Yeah, I mean that's oh, something they had sure. to work around was was Noah Syndergaard and you know just the and they gave up nothing general. for him. Yeah, they give. Oh, right. They that's the thing. That's the thing. Him. I can't I can't say too much about it because they really didn't give up anything. It, it was just oh. I thought they needed more. Hoppy was Marsh. I know that's what oh, you're going to okay. say. Oh, okay. I was going to ask. I was like, hold on. Let me just make sure. Okay. No, yeah. they, didn't, they hardly gave up anyone okay, or anything. So. And by the way, Syndergaard. you do that Ohapi for Marsh trade 12 times out of 10. I mean, you you get a long-term center fielder See, for to me, a guy that's who's blocked really well. by JT. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, Marsh batted 288 for us in the second half of this year. Yeah, and I think he's, he's been great. He's a stud. That was an awesome pickup. But yeah, I think they need... But it's just... they. Rob Thompson's done such a great job working around that because that was the one every every time we talked about a series, whether it was San Diego, whether it was now in the World Series, it was okay. You have that impending Noah Syndergaard start coming up. Yeah, what are you going to do? And they've actually come out of those games, you know, either winning it or they got close to against Houston. So yeah. credit to the bullpen for that, and credit to Rob Thompson for I think handling it. The best way possible. I thought he managed those games beautifully. I also think you can make an argument that regular season Bailey Falter would have been like a top 10 fourth starter in the yeah, MLB. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. Yeah, just it's a shame. young guy, not a lot of experience. Yeah, so it would have been very hard to get. At least Noah Syndergaard, he has the experience, but the moment's not going to be too big. So we could put him out there for a few innings and, and get out. But I, yeah, if, if Bailey Falter had the experience and they, you know, had the opportunity, I would have loved to see that guy. I get a little bit more opportunities, but I obviously I I think it was the right call. Yeah, with yeah, the experience for sure. Uh, let's get to the other side of the break. Let's take a quick break and let's come back talking NFL. We spent way longer on the Phillies there than I expected to, but hey, this is the Do last. You think they win the last show? That no, I don't. I don't either. I said game five. Jeremy, oh man, the wise words of Sean Brace. This is not over. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say. I think Game Five, the winner of Game Five, was going to win the World Series. This is the first. It felt that way to me. Yeah, it felt that way too. I said going in, it was the most important game of my lifetime as a Phillies fan. I think it that- sucks that we had to watch it as fans of a particular team. 
Because if you take a step back from that and just look at the game in total, that was an awesome World Series game. Oh, yeah. Like, that was the best of the best. Both teams getting opportunities to hit, but really clutch pitching, great defensive plays. It was so good. You guys are such Debbie Downers right now. It's not being. Come it's on. not Debbie. Da- I Come hope on, they prove me wrong. But, I know that. I know but that. Objectively, but you, you, you got, objectively you, looking at this, this is a very hard thing no, to. I agree. I, it's a monumental. It task. definitely is. You guys are talking about you guys like slouched over and everything. Like, come on, man. We're talking about the fightings. Like tonight, like anything can happen, dude. See, and you guys just seem so down. I'm not. I'm and not I get down. It. I'm I just. I, I, get, I get. I'm it. trying like, to look at it in an objective way. And I agree. You and the Astros probably three of your top five hitters in the lineup are over twenty five. Right. But what has also happened whenever whenever we go on a cold streak and then it switches out of nowhere? Why oh, don't do the whole like Rocky speech of like I'm you not, get I'm hit not doing and a keep Rocky speech. I'm you not are, doing though. that. You're no, doing look, the you're doing I the Rocky to Mark thing. Before, I said it to Mark before that when in the regular season we would lose games and be on a cold streak against like the Cubs and the Nationals. Like what's going on? And then the next series right after that we yeah, go up against the Braves. They've been a then, very resilient team. And then Absolutely. we go and sweep the Braves a series later. We just we just lost two of three at home. Just look at the Cubs, like, we should have beaten, like, we, we should have won games then. Now we're going to go to Houston where we shouldn't win. We shouldn't have beat the Braves in the regular season. I know. Very resilient team. It is. Always but comes you, like, up big when they need just, to. You got, you're just there, like, yeah, but it's, 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 season's over. They've done it all postseason long, too. But there comes a point where that's just hard to do again. And they've dug themselves in some small holes in the postseason. This is like digging yourself six feet. You know, this is almost like you're pretty much done. And that game five, they needed to win. I'm sorry, you needed to take two out of three from home. And th- you could throw all the Houston numbers at me 0 3 in game six. In 2019, they were up 3 2 and lost both games at home. I get all of that. But this team is, the, the Phillies have kind of hit a wall, and Houston's just better than they were even in that year. This Houston team is so damn good. And I just don't know if resiliency is good enough to beat a team like that. You're just going to have to be good. The Astros aren't giving you extra outs. The Astros aren't making dumb plays or dumb mistakes. They are playing such good baseball. You have to go out and earn it. And the Phillies right now, again, I just think they've hit that wall, and I don't know if they'll be able to. For me, it's it's honestly just that I think Wheeler's hurt. Uh, and that I, too, I, I don't like, have faith yeah, in Wheeler tonight because I think he's hurt. And then you have Framber who already pitched well against us. I don't think it's impossible that they get to Framber the second time you see a guy in such a short amount of time. I don't think it's impossible. It's not impossible, that they hit the ball. but man, that guy's been good. He's really good. He's no, good. he's a stud. And then Christian uh, Javier, he's better. Oh my god, Javier's better. I, I can't believe he's only going to have like three or four innings on yeah, in game yeah. seven though. And I no, can't believe they, that that's the guy win that, tonight. They'll win game seven. That's the guy that was like the the candidate to get back in their bullpen. You know, and to to maybe be that you know bull. I just never understood that. But we just did a sports here, there, and everywhere. Let's take a break and then do five more. Minutes. I know, yeah, I <laughs> that was do classic. That all the time. That's classic. Um, so let's do. T- let's take that break, uh, and we'll come back and we'll get to the NFL. Stay tuned to the tough cover right here on the Gambler. The Gambler, presented by Cure Auto Insurance. Radio show right here on the Gambler, closing it down before we get over to. I guess the Villanova pregame is at one thirty. Actually, that's not at one o'clock, but it's coming up at one thirty. Game at 
2 o'clock. John Jansen and Joe Tanzi coming up on the pregame. So keep it locked to the gambler at 1.30. Let's switch it over to the NFL real quick. Before I ask John Jansen about some of his favorite plays, I know Jeremy, uh, is, he brought he brought a lot of picks today. So maybe maybe a little bit of a rapid fire. Yeah, you want a rapid fire? Yeah. Touch on, touch on your favorites a little bit more. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. sure, why not? <laughs> um, wait. So I got the Jets spread. I got it at now at 11 now uh, over the Buffalo Bills. So I don't, it's actually 11 and a half. It's at 11 now. Oh, okay. It just switched. Right, I just got right, it. I just right. got it. It's at 11 now. It's a bad bet anyway. I, I don't Agreed. care. I agree. I don't, I don't care what you have to say. Zach um, Wilson Zach is Wilson's horrible. Worst. Hey, who's better these, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. I'm telling you why your bet's stupid. All right. All right, man. All right, man. It's hard to it's hard to cover eleven points against the best team in the NFL when you're turning the ball over like I Eagles. I understand that. I don't think Buffalo was gonna come out here and score thirty five points in the they Jets will, this though. week. Okay, well I I disagree. I don't think that they will. I got Dolphins uh spread over the Bears at four. Uh I have the Vikings spread over the Commanders at three. I hate all of these bets. Dude, that's fine. That's I like fine. The, I like the Dolphins. I'll say that. Yeah, I know. I know you were on the Commanders and your Taylor Heineke and whatever it I is. I hate all of your there. bets right now. That's fine. I I got eight, so we'll see if you like one of my eight. Fourth bet is oh, you're gonna hate this one. Over in Panthers and Bengals at forty two and a half. Uh, nope, no, you don't, don't like, like that. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> nope. I don't. I don't like either one of the defenders. I think they're both gonna be able to score. Big PJ Walker guy. No, but I, I do think I, I, it's he another funny been, story. I think pretty good. Yeah. Um. Falcons money line over the Chargers. I like that. Oh, that's the one. That's the one that hits right there. Yeah. Okay. Chargers. Right, Chargers just might not be good. No, well, they're still hurt. It, yeah, they're, they're even, right. Right. Yeah, it's that's, not even yes, the Chargers. Yeah. I also don't really like Staley that much. Oh uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'm kind of over the came, old Brandon. Right. Staley I I, I kind of am too. Um, and then I got Packers Lions over forty nine and a half. I think Packers are going to score a lot of points. I, it's just too. I don't think Lions have a good defense. I don't and, hate it or like it. That's fine. <laughs> I think it's like a fair line. Yeah. Yeah. It's all it's just all right with you guys. Yeah. All right. All right. Um Titans and Chiefs over forty five and a half. But I didn't bet it yet and I just saw that Tannehill might not be starting. Not that's a big deal. So you but I kinda the- like it more because Malik will be in. So he was terrible last week. But you should take the- <laughs> he was so bad last week. I can't emphasize how bad Malik Willis was last week. As someone who bet his anytime touchdown prop. Um <laughs> and you're Sam Mellinger won. Sam, well, Sam Ellinger actually, he wasn't as, he was nowhere near <laughs> as bad as Malik Willis was overall. But, um, I have the correct bet in that game that kind of correlates with the over that we'll get to in, in just a minute. Is that your last one? I also have Seahawks money line over the Cardinals. Jeremy Seahawks. I mean, Seahawks fan. It's a, it's a weekly I'm segment. I'm not an Eagles fan anymore. I'm betting on the Seahawks every week. I, I respect it. I respect it. So, so those are my eight bets. I'll run through mine real quick. Um, I, I've got the Dolphins minus four. Um, Tua sixteen nine and one against the spread, eighteen and eight outright. While Justin Fields six and twelve against the spread, five and thirteen outright over his career. Um, he has played better the last couple of weeks, but Fields is one in five outright and it's against. So the funny spread. in the NFL, things change week to week because everybody's like, "This guy can't pass the yeah, ball," and all yeah. of a sudden, he's the best quarterback of the twenty twenty one draft class. Yeah, yeah. People are just people want to react. It's to unbelievable. Things. Can we just say the guy's improved? Yeah, that's all you got to say. No, yeah, and he's he is. Passable right now. He's also, David Carr better. thinks Davis Mills should have been a top ten pick in last year's. Oh, draft, I did so. see that. Davis Mills is bad. He's yeah. brute. Those two th- interceptions he had. That wasn't. I misread the defense. That was. I don't know what I'm doing. No, I totally type of agree. throws. That was awful. 
I totally agree. But Justin Fields is better than Davis Mills. I will say that. He is. I, I think the two best quarterbacks are Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Those are the two best. I'd still probably lean Trevor in the Oh, Trevor's definitely better Trevor's than Justin one, Fields. Trevor's one, but yeah. I, I'd still try. I'd still but those are the top two for me. I'm, I'm done. I think Zach Wilson's just... I'd, uh, he's never going to get it. I'd struggle picking between Mac and Fields. I still ha- remember being impressed by some of the oh, things Bailey Mac Zappi's did last year. Mac Jones. Um, I might agree with that. that that's a separate <laughs> issue. Um <laughs> That, that's a that's a separate that's a separate conversation. But Justin Fields has really struggled against good teams. He's one and eight outright against teams with winning records. Three and six against the spread. The, Dolph, the Dolphins certainly qualify as a good team. They're thirteen and four in their last seventeen games. The Dolphins. So I thought that was something Super interesting. Super Bowl contender in my eyes. And by the way, three of those losses are with Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson. So uh, it's I, I absolutely think they're probably the fourth best team in football, definitely the third best team in the AFC. To a six and one outright end against the spread against NFC teams, covering by just under nine points per game. So a couple trends there. I really like the Dolphins here. Um, and by the way, Donkey Brains of the Week will be about something revolving around Tua Tagovailoa. So just get ready for that. I like the thought Falcons plus three and a half. Don't have much to say other than the fact that I think the Chargers are getting credit for being the, like a team with all the names that we know they have. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams aren't playing this weekend. J.C. Jackson hasn't been himself. Bosa is hurt. They, Justin Herbert playing hurt. This team is not the Chargers that we thought they were coming into the year. And the Falcons are not the Falcons we thought they were coming into the year. Give me the Falcons as a home dog, plus three and a half. I'll take the money line, too. I like the Bills minus 11 and a half. Josh Allen, most profitable quarterback since he's been in the NFL. 3-0 and in MetLife Stadium against the spread against the Jets. And Zach Wilson has faced three teams in his career out allowing 17 points per game or less. The Jets have scored 6-0 and 6 in those three games. Wilson's been terrible against pressure. That will not bode well against the Buffalo Bills defense, which correlates with under 46 in Bills Jets. By the way, the under this year, 72 and 51 in the NFL just in general. Pretty pretty crazy stuff there how 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 skewed the numbers have been towards taking unders blindly. I like the Packers minus three and a half. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers owns Detroit. Last week I took New England and kind of swallowed the throw up there as the gross play against the Jets because Belichick owns the Jets. I'm doing the same thing with the Packers here with Aaron Rodgers against the Lions. Uh, and also for, for all the talk about Green Bay's recent struggles and losing streak, they're not even on the, lo- the biggest losing streak in their division. The Lions have lost more in a row. I mean, Dan Campbell, can we just can we stop? Can we just stop it with Dan Campbell? I've been right since his introductory press conference that this guy was going to fool all the idiots of football Twitter into thinking he was the savior. This guy's a bozo, blowhard, meathead. I, I'm I'm so done listening to Matt or Matt Campbell. I'm done with him too. I'm out. Uh, he stinks. Uh, he's the most overrated coach I've ever seen. I'm out on head coaches named Campbell. I'll say it. That, that's that's how I feel. Uh, and then speaking of, uh, you know, teams that have been disappointing, the Indianapolis Colts, I'm not looking at a spread in this game, although I will say, for some reason, I don't have trends, I don't have numbers, I don't have anything to point to. I lean Colts plus five and a half in that game. I think the Colts keep it close with New England, but uh, I'm not betting that game. I will bet Sam Ellinger anytime touchdown score at plus 550. Plus 550? Are you kidding me? I'll take Ellinger. He's going to score. He didn't do it last week. He's due. He did it in almost every start that he played in college. If you look at, you know, I think he had 24 rushing touchdowns in his last 26 starts in college. The dude rushed for a ton of touchdowns at Texas. I think he'll do it once they're in. They weren't in the red zone a lot last week. Jonathan Taylor's out this week. I think Ellinger gets a carry around the red zone. And then my last play on the board, Chiefs team total 
over 28 and a half. That's the right play. You're talking about the over. You're talking about Tannehill being out. If you don't want to have to worry about the Titans, you don't want to have to depend on them to score. The Chiefs will do it for you. The Chiefs have scored 30-plus in three of the last four games. They haven't missed a, a beat without Tyreek Hill, who's, by the way, been awesome anyway, but they haven't been worse without him. The Titans are bottom 10 in pass defense, bottom 10 in scoring defense. The Chiefs are first in red zone efficiency, third and third, first in third down conversions, first in first down, while being second in passing yards, second in yards per play, second in EPA. This team is a Super Bowl contender and every bit of one of the three best teams in the NFL. And with 13 days of rest or more, Andy Reid is 27 and six straight up 21 and 12 against the spread 17 and two off of a buy 12 and seven off of a buy against the spread. So I like the chiefs to really put a hurting on the Titans here. I'm not going to bet the spread because it's 12 and a half in the NFL. I don't want I don't bet spreads that big, but I will take the team total at 28 and a half. Jansen, what's your favorite player two on the board? Ooh, favorite play. Um, I'll say Atlanta because you already said it. I like Atlanta getting the three. Uh, it's, and it's more of, I just think the Chargers are having a rough go at it. As you just said, a lot of it is injuries, and I don't think Justin Herbert's 100% healthy. So that's all the problem. And Brandon Staley's offense is brutally bad. Uh, so I, I don't like the Chargers, and I think Atlanta's just got one of those weird... Because you look at Atlanta's roster, I don't like it at all. But that's just one of those weird seasons like the Titans last year where they just keep winning, and you're like, how is this team winning so much? Arthur it Smith. just happens. Arthur Smith's fine. Like, I think he's doing, yeah, I think he's doing good. But $77 million of dead cap this yeah, year that's that the Falcons have. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, but they just win games, and their defense is playing better than expected sometimes. And it's It's odd, but yeah, Atlanta keeps winning, so I like them getting the three. I actually like Detroit getting three and a half. I like that they're healthy. So as long as they have, because they are, you're, you're right, Mark. Dan Campbell's not great. They are not a good football team. So I, I, I understand all of that. They are better than their record, though. Their record's that way because they also lost a lot of players. And they lost their two best skill position players, mm-hmm. DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown. But when those two have been in the lineup, their offense has been just fine. They score. So, they score they a score. lot. Now they give up a ton of points. They're giving up over 30 points a game. And Tua had a field day against them. So it's I, I don't know if their defense is going to be able to stop Aaron Rodgers. The thing is, it's not like defenses have been stopping the Packers. They just can't do anything themselves. Like yeah. it's To me, it's all self-inflicted problems with the Packers. It's Aaron Rodgers not being on the same page. Receiver dropping passes. Offensive line not doing well. It is all, I think, their own doing. So... Green Bay could score points in this one and score a lot, but that I don't know if they score enough to to really pull away against Detroit. I think it's going to be a close game. I actually think Detroit comes out with the lead early in this one, so I like Detroit getting three and a half. It's not you know an easy play to make because uh, obviously, as you just said, Aaron Rodgers owns Detroit, but with the the things I've seen with Detroit's offense healthy. I they almost covered against Miami last week, and I love that bet. And they just didn't come through, but I think this week they do, and I think they possibly win that game against Green Bay. Real quick, uh, the the three big college games tonight. Before we get over to Donkey Brains uh, of the week and and Love Me Flexi of the week, three big games. You have Tennessee, Georgia. You have Alabama, LSU. You have Clemson, Notre Dame. Any plays on any of those three games? So I like Clemson beating Notre Dame. Uh, everybody's Boo. talking about everybody's talking about Clemson's problems against Syracuse. A Syracuse played well in that game, 
but it is. It seems like just one of those games in college football. Their DJ played his worst game of the season. He looked absolutely horrendous. It happens all the time. We saw it with Alabama. They could barely beat Texas. You know, they're a better team than Texas. It just it happens in college football like that. But Clemson gets the bye week. DJ gets to get rid of that game, move on, and I think he's going to play just fine like he has all season long. I think Clemson will be able to put up 30 points on Notre Dame's defense, and I don't know how Notre Dame keeps up with that. So I like Clemson. I think they're the better bet out of the three. Alabama probably going to crush LSU, but I've just I've not been comfortable with Alabama in the way that they played. And Georgia-Tennessee, I think Georgia wins, but good luck with that 8.5. I know you're on Tennessee. I just couldn't come up with a bet in that game. I, I have yeah. no idea where to go in that one. I, I have a low-confidence bet there, Tennessee plus 9.5, yeah. because honestly... Because that's where I wanted to go, but then there's a, that part of me that's like, well, Georgia's the defending national champs They're the home. sharp play. Yeah, are they, I guess they are the sharp I think play. they are, yeah. But it's it's more. Uh, I wasn't even thinking that. But you're probably right. They they are the sharp play because it's like oh Vegas made them an eight point right, favorite. Right, that for a reason. One. Yeah, they, I think that's there. But it's for sure. It's more of just Georgia's so good at this point, and Tennessee's having that special season the way maybe LSU did, mm-hmm. where offensively they're great, and you think at some point they got to slow down and they don't. But this is a this is a machine that Tennessee's going up against. This isn't Alabama at home. This is. In Georgia against defending national champs, we'll have a bunch of players back, at least offensively. They have one of the best players, I think, in the entire uh, college football in country in Brock Bowers. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I don't know if they can do, they keep up with that. I'm literally only on Tennessee because I think it's actually like a 50 50 coin flip game on who's going to win. Yeah. So that, that's why I took Tennessee because I think it's, it's even. And the, everyone's pointing to Alabama and saying like, oh, Georgia's going to show that that was fraudulent. The Alabama win is not why that, I'm all no, the way in on Tennessee. The is, reason I'm all in on Tennessee. Fraudulent. See, I, I don't want to do that. I think Tennessee's one of the yeah, top five no, teams. Not, in the, not, not, no, yeah. but the people will. That, and I was saying that in our podcast, that people will say that about Tennessee. Mm-hmm. That, oh, there we go. There's the loss. Tennessee's not good. Don't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. This is a heavyweight national championship type of game. And it, whatever team loses it, they're still one of the top teams in the country. That doesn't change it. Yeah, and... The, the game that impressed me the most with Tennessee wasn't even the Alabama win. When you come out and smack a Mark Stoops coach Kentucky team 44-6 to on the road him. and hold Will Levis to 98 yards, the reason I'm pumped about Tennessee right now is that defense. That defense coming out like that against Kentucky last week, that gives you a little hope that maybe they don't have to win a 52-49 game today. Maybe they can limit... Stetson Bennett-led offense, which Stetson Bennett's got like nine touchdown passes this year. I know it's like a little under-the-radar thing. I know that they usually blow teams out. They can take them out, but I just don't. Georgia had trouble with Missouri. So I'm going with Tennessee. It's a low-confidence play, uh, but I I do think Tennessee keeps that game interesting. Um, And and I, you know, it's like I I bought in on Tennessee early this year um, for that Florida game, bet on Tennessee. I kind of just rode them since, and it's one of those things where it's like, man, I bet them money line and spread against Alabama, and uh, money line this game. No, I'm not on the money line. I am on the nine and a half. You coward! I know, I know. You absolute coward! I know. It is very cowardly. I, you want to hear a money line? Uh, uh, this is this is going really far out in left field. I'm not picking the money line. I might by the time four o'clock rolls around. I'm just saying, watch out for Navy today against Cincinnati. Oh, I like that. Watch like that. out for Navy. It's plus 19 now. I got it early in the week at plus 21. I love the spread. I don't even know. It's probably like plus 600, plus 700. I, I might sprinkle by the time 4 o'clock comes around. Watch out for an upset there. I'm putting Cincinnati on upset watch. But 
Real quick, let's end the show as we always do with our Donkey Brains of the Week. How do we know you're not a Donkey Brain man? And if you're one of the heathens out there that was trying to write to a tongue of Iowa off in his first two years as an NFL pro, you've got Donkey Brains. The Dolphins are 5-0 and with Tua at quarterback this year. And everyone's going to point to the fact, well, oh, they got Teron Armstead. Oh, they fixed the O-line. Oh, they have Tyreek Hill. Oh, they have Jalen Waddle. Oh, they have Mike Kosicki. Oh, they have all these running backs. Oh, they have Mike McDaniel, a great offensive play caller. Well, they're 0-3 with Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson. They're 5-0 and with Tua Tungavailoa. And I'm not making an Emmanuel Acho Tua is better than Justin Herbert argument because he's won a bunch of games. But what I am saying is, you people, you people, I don't even know what, you, you Tua hater, I'm too, I'm part of Tua non. So, um, you people out there who tried to act like this guy, oh, he just can't be a starter. He's just not it. They won't be able to compete with him. You just need to expand your patience a little bit for these young quarterbacks. I think sometimes we expect it way too soon with these young quarterbacks, and so much of it is dictated by the situation you're in. And I know John agrees with me regarding Trevor Lawrence, and people are doing that to Trevor Lawrence in his first two years. I think there could be a very similar thing that happens to say, him. Bookmark the same thing for Trevor Lawrence next year at this I time. totally agree. I absolutely Now that he agree. got Calvin Ridley? Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely agree. <laughs> oh, man. And the funny thing is, that's a little diff- a little different with Tua and Trevor. Tua was winning games last year and two years ago when people were, were out on them. Maybe he wasn't doing it as pretty as you'd like him to, but he was winning games. And, and Miami is uh, every bit of, of a contender this year as long as Tua stays upright. Tua coming into his rookie year was coming off of a massive hip injury. He also had an offensive coordinator in Chan Gailey who's a grandfather who had coached Ryan Fitzpatrick on five different teams. And you're going to tell me he didn't design the offense to be for Ryan Fitzpatrick who they started from day one? I think there was too many things working against Tua. He had the 32nd best wide receivers in the entire NFL over a two-year sample size. They're, they had absolutely no interest in coaching offense under Brian Flores. This is a new Miami Dolphins regime with Mike McDaniel. And now Tua Tagovailoa can finally be the quarterback he was always supposed to be. So real quick, let's get over to the other side and hit it with a love me flexi before we get out of here. It's the Love Me start of the week. And we're going with Philip Lindsay as our long shot flex option here. He's had three catches the last two weeks. He's had four targets the last two weeks. And Jonathan Taylor is not playing in this game. Sam Ellinger, a mobile quarterback, should help the efficiency of the running offense. So give me Philip Lindsay. He's ranked outside of the top 45 on ESPN in terms of fantasy running backs for this week. But give me Philip Lindsay as our flex option, our Love Me Flexi start of the week. So thank you to the Tough Cover Click for listening. Thank you to John Jansen for joining us, as always, in the second hour. And as always, enjoy the winners and Gambler Country. Let's ride. Closing time.